What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Mark Graney. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you doing? Not too bad. Where are we hunkering down right now? We're still in the apocalypse, I think. I know. I'm still hunkering down. I had a book that came out around this time last year, and I had a normal tour. And then a couple of weeks later, everything shut down. I was like, wow, I'm so lucky that I had my tour. And here we are a year later, and uh, I'm hunkered down like everyone else. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, where I live. Okay. Uh, two quick questions. First, were you able to finish that whole tour? Yeah. Yeah. That tour was like the last couple of weeks of February. I even yeah. did a, um, uh, I went to like a, a writer's or, or like a book fair in early March. And that was my last <laughs> foray out into the world. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, do you, was that your first book tour? Are you a veteran of the book tour world? I'm, I'm a, a touring musician forever, so I know the road. Okay, yeah. Um, well, I was a, a touring musician back in the 80s, if you can believe that, and uh, not very successfully. But What did you yeah. play? What do you play? I, drum, I play drums. I, I have drums. I don't play them like I used to, that's for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I've been a published author for 12 years, and I've been doing the tours virtually uh, that entire length of time. And I've done about two books a year virtually every year. So um, I've spent a lot of time, you know, out there. This is, is weird doing it from home, but um, yeah. th there's definitely some benefits to it, obviously. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I, I play guitar, and, um, you know, I, I've been, like I said, I was, I'm 33, but I've been playing in bands since I was 13. So yeah. it's going to be interesting when I get on a stage again, um, just mm -hmm. to, you know, feel what it's like to even just see people in front of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. I, I got I to gotta ask, uh, what kind of tours were you doing with your band? What kind of music was it? Well, it, we were a band like a lot of bands in the mid eighties that was like, wanted to be hard rock, but wanted to play. So we did like college rock and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, we, we, when we were jamming, we would do a lot of Nugent or, or a deep purple. And then when we play live, it was a lot of REM yeah, <laughs> and, um, and stuff like that. that. But I, I, I'm really, I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm I'm glad it happened to me. It feels like a completely different life. I bought a uh, a set of Roland electric electronic drums last year. I was all excited to get back into it, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just more frustrating than anything else because you know what you used to be able to do, and it's just it it's it's not like riding a bike. You don't just sit back down and and start you know feeling the same grooves or whatever. So oh no way. Uh, Especially, yeah, it's, especially with drums. Um, I mean, this is totally off the topic of a book podcast, but uh, okay. and, and people might tune out right now. But for people who nah. don't know, Phil Collins, um, who I think is one of the greatest drummers of all time, yeah. original yeah. drummer Genesis. Um, yeah. He, I mean, he, I don't know how old he is now. He's probably well into his 70s. Um, right. He has been publicly trying to get back into drums and he's been having a very, he's been posting videos of his progress. Like, you know, he's walking up like on a walker to the drum set and then yeah. like 30 minutes. You know, drumming is a different than guitar playing. Um, it's taking mm. your whole body. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, guys, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I mean, like my, my right hand and my um, left leg used to sort of work independently of each other. And it was yeah. kind of like magic for my right yeah. leg. Yeah. And, uh, and then that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> So were you, was this band in Tennessee where you grew up? Is that where you're from? Is that your origins? Yeah. Yeah. We played in, you know, several States around mostly colleges or, you know, really awful bars yeah. who didn't, who really didn't want to hear REM, but we, you know, we, <laughs> we needed a booking. So that's what yeah. So were you doing any writing back then or did writing kind of come to you later on? No, I was a big reader, uh, and I didn't even know I wanted to be a writer, um, but I just got obsessed with with reading novels, and um, the first novel I ever bought was Patriot Games by Tom Clancy, uh, coincidentally, and I just became obsessed with that genre, reading, 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 and then I got an idea when I was about 22 mm -hmm. for a book to write on my own, and I it took me 15 years to finish it, but I did finish it. I mean, it was just that thing that was just there, you know, that you told yourself was going to be awesome someday. And I finished it and immediately shelved it and wrote something else. And my second book took me like seven months to write because once, once you've done it, you're like, okay, how, how much was I actually working and how much was I talking about it or thinking about it or, you know, procrastinating. And, and it's like, when it's done, it feels pretty good. And it also feels doable. You know, it's like, I, I just pulled this off, you know? So I did another one in, in seven months and it ended up being my fourth book 
that I finished was the first book that I had published. So I didn't get published till I was 42. And I, you know, got the desire to be a writer when I was 22. So that's a lot of time. What are you doing in that time? Um, for instance, I'm 33. I started writing three or four years ago. Um, you know, right. I published a novella and I'm about to finish my first novel. I own a dog walk. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. What did you do for 20 years while you were writing the, those first two books? Well, I uh, graduated from college with a BA in poli-sci and international relations. And then uh, I worked in restaurants yeah. a lot. That's how, that's how I use in my Ten- poli-sci. Stay in Tennessee the whole time? Yeah, uh, almost the whole time. I, I got into sort of international sales and I worked, I lived in Miami for a while. Oh, okay. Um, I traveled overseas a good bit. And I was actually most recently in the medical device industry. I worked for nine years in, in like sort of uh, international customer support uh, for a, a company called Medtronic here in Memphis. And that whole time I was, you know, secretly writing books and trying to get published and everything. And it, it finally happened. And I, uh, I quit my job in, in April of 2009. So, I mean, you know, again, we're, we, I was talking about before the podcast, but it seems like you and I kind of run similar or running similar paths, at least I'm a, at least a little behind you. Right. But that being said, um, when you said you were kind of writing in secret was, were you writing in the morning, writing at night? Did you have a wife and kids? Were, were you able to have that time? So I didn't at that time. I, I lived alone. Um, and I had to be at work at eight in the morning. Yeah. And and The Gray Man, which is my first novel that was published, that book was 100% written between July and December of 2007, between 5.30 a.m. and 7.30 a.m. at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. It was like every morning I was really tired. I didn't want to get up, um, but I made myself. And then I go to Starbucks. And then there, there's something, and you you probably know this too, as you you know balance uh, a, re- a real job with, with writing. Um, there's something about just having a block of time, like one hour or two hours, and that's all you've got for the day and you know it, that really focuses you and helps you a lot. Once I became a full-time author, it took me just as long to write a book as it did before when I had a 24-hour day at my disposal. Um, it would, but w- having those two hours early in the morning really worked for me. And um, now I have uh, three stepchildren and uh, a wife and so it's, it's the day doesn't start as early as it used to, um, but I do this full time and my 20th book is, is the one that's coming out right now. So I, I, I kind of have an understanding on, on, on how to make it work. Yeah. I mean, it, an author like you fascinates me, right? Because I, most of the authors I talk to on the podcast, you know, there's you know, five years between books they write. Yeah. And there's authors like you who are just, I, I prefer to just banging this shit out, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. And it's not, you know, I'm never, I'm not too familiar with you. You mentioned Tom Clancy. I haven't mm. read too much of that stuff. My father will read it all. He, he's read yeah. all of it. You know, yeah. I've always been more of like the, you know, the Philip Roth deep shit. But that, yeah. that irregardless of that, did you know you wanted to? You said you that Tom Clancy was the first book you read. Um, when you first started writing those 20 years, kind of developing your skill, were you specifically thinking, I want to write like this, let's just say like Tom Clancy? Did you have that style? Were you aiming for that specifically? Well, as I said, I, I read a ton of novels and I always had this credo and, you know, I was not a particularly mature guy in his 20s uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I look back on this and I'm so glad that I had this sort of like, uh, this feeling that what I needed to do was I wanted to be a writer, but I loved reading books and I never wanted to stop loving books. So I wasn't going to sit there and analyze and diagram and try and replicate and figure out what happens here in the third <laughs> act turn and all these things that I barely know, <laughs> barely understand in the first place. Here. I yeah. just wanted to read for pleasure. Yes. And, and, and so many things that I've tried in life, I've fallen on my face and, you know, failed at. So this isn't like, you know, this manifest destiny that I was you know, definitely going to do this, but I just kept at it because I like to do it. And I wasn't trying to write like Tom Clancy or like Nelson DeMille or any of the, the Ken Follett or anybody that I really, really liked. Huh? It was just, I think a little bit of osmosis. You spend enough time in those books and that's, that informs your style a little bit yeah it's the only thing i that makes sense to me because i never i never studied writing uh i never took classes or anything like that so same with me um so 
you're working in the medical device field, you're, you're writing at Starbucks. What was the first book you said that got published? Yeah, it was called The Gray Man, which is uh, the, the first one in a series. Uh, my new book, Relentless, is the 10th book in the series. So okay. that, that was, uh, yeah, that was the first one. So can you talk about how that happened? I mean, what were you, what was going, I mean, were you querying everything you were writing? I mean, was that, you said that was the fourth thing you wrote, but first to get yeah. published? Yeah, I queried like the last three. So I had a, basically what I did was I finished my first book, as I said, that took me 15 years. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the internet had been invented in the time it took me to write that book. Okay. So, so there was answers to all the questions that I, I didn't have answers to when I, you know, the 15 years I was working on it. Yeah. So I went on the internet and I was like, how to get your book published. And first I saw that I, I made tremendous mistakes. The book was too long. I had way too many characters. I look back at it now. And, and although I'm super proud of the story and would love for it to come out in a completely different form, I just kind of like laugh at some yeah. rookie mistakes. The better, the good thing is, and I always tell this to, to authors is like, your book doesn't get published. That doesn't mean it was a failure. You, you are, whether you know it or not, uh, you know, once you dust yourself back off, you're so much better as a writer than you were. And you, you talked about writing novellas. I was having the hardest time finishing that book for 15 years that at one point I just had an idea for another story and I wrote it as a novella right in the middle of it. And that gives you a beginning, a middle, an end, something to edit, something completely finished. Um, you've, probably talk to authors that want to be published like I do. And they'll be like, yeah, I'm working on like five different things. And I'm like, what you're telling me is you're writing the easy shit of those five different things. And every time you hit a speed bump, you know, it's like <laughs> you're moving on to something else. It's like, but with a novella, it's a contained, you know, like mine was, I did three, they were about 25,000 words and yeah. they were, uh, you know, it, it, it exercises all the things you have to be good at to, to, to be published as a novel. So it was, that was a great experience for me. Yeah. But, but yeah. going back to your question, I, I didn't, I, in 2006, no, 2005, after I'd finished my first book and I was working on my second book, um, the internet had been invented again. Yeah. And I just saw that you're supposed to get an agent. I didn't even know how that worked or what you did. I thought you just mailed the whole book into a publishing house. And if, if they liked it, they sent you money. I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and I wish it was like that. Um, but I, I looked up who the agent was of like one of my favorite authors who was not a household name, you know, because I figured I wasn't going to get John Grisham's agent or or whatever. So I, I wanted someone who wrote in my genre who was really, really good um, because to me, an agent, you know, represents clients who, you know, with talent, not just, you know, to make money. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, there was an author named Ralph Peters, who, again, not a household name, but fantastic author in my genre. So I looked to see who his, who his agent was, and his name was Scott Miller, did a little more research and saw he was going to be at a writer's conference in San Diego, like, in a month or something. So I sent, uh, you could send in like 10 pages of, of your work. And I went to meet him. And I, at the time, I suffered from really, really, really bad social anxiety, which I don't anymore just because, you know, you do a thousand things in public and <laughs> go on TV and stuff like what that. It is. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard to keep up that level of anxiety. Yeah. It's more, it, I mean, I'm, I'm a Jewish, I'm Jew, right? So I, I'm anxious by nature. And it's like, it becomes a job. And yeah. it, keeping up with the constant, exactly. you got to just yeah. fucking let it go. Just let it go. It's, it's, same thing as, as like flying. I used to have a fear of flying. Yeah. Put me in a couple hundred airplanes a year. The fear of flying goes away, not because yeah. anything's changed other than it's like, that's just exhausting to be so yeah. damn like freaked out. So I had this social anxiety thing and I, I was actually supposed to meet with three agents and that I'd sent it to, including the one who was my first choice. And the first two, I didn't even leave my hotel room. I just paced and called myself a piece of shit for, for not going. I was just too scared. And the third yeah. one, I was like, man, you flew all the way to California. You spent all this money that you don't have. And, you know, this is the guy you want. And I went to see him and, and he said, you're Mark Grady. I was like, yeah. And he said, man, you're the said guy. said your last I'm, name okay. correctly. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually not for years. <laughs> my agent got that a few years later. Um, and he said, you know, you're the, you're the guy I've been waiting to see because he'd gotten my 10 pages. And oh, wow. Like, he said, this is the best thing that's ever been given to me at a writer's conference. And then he said, not that that's saying a lot, which is kind of, you know, faint price. But then he asked me to talk more about the story. And you could kind of see his eyes glaze over. And he's like, yeah, it's probably not the book for someone that no one's heard of or whatever. But he's like, you write great action. 
cool store if you wrote something, you know, he, he kind of gave me idea, not really ideas, but it's just like, if you, if you wrote a book where you could have a guy on the cover with a gun in his hand, that book would sell because you're that good at action. So I took that five minute or 10 minute speed dating <laughs> conversation yeah, yeah. and I went away and I wrote a whole bu book and it took me, you know, most of a year because obviously I was working and other stuff. And, and with that book, he read it and then he called me up. He's like, uh, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, he said, I think this is a good book. There's probably a, a lot of agents that would represent this, but I think you can do better. I, he said, I, I like your hero. I like this subplot. And if you took away the main plot of the book, which isn't that interesting and, and turn that subplot into the main, you know, he's like, <clears throat> it's not just a reworking of the book. You need a whole nother book. Yeah. And then, so he finished that. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, let's go back to where you said there were agents that would handle this. <laughs> you know, it's like, tell me, give me a name, but he was right. And I spent uh, a day crying into my beer. And then I started working on the, my fourth novel, which was gray man. And um, that's the one that was ultimately published that, agent is my agent to this day so well let me first let me first i don't know if anyone does but let me first pat you on the back because to me you know failure fucking sucks and yeah. you know for you to go back literally to square one yeah that takes a lot of a lot of chutzpah you know i mean that, that takes a lot yeah um, yeah and it, it, for a fourth time to go back to try and get published. But, you know, I, I, I've had like virtually no epiphanies in my life. I'm not one of those navel gazing people or whatever, but I absolutely did have an epiphany at one point when I was in my late thirties and I was having no success and I was writing in my free time and, you know, my rest, rest of my life was in the shitter. And, um, you told me I could cuss at the beginning, and now I'm like afraid that it, the it, next it, podcast well, I do, I'm gonna. You're, you're that, gonna that's why people fight. like this podcast. That's why authors like coming on this podcast. Right. All right. Talk. Yeah, but I feel like you're priming the pump, and I'm gonna do another podcast oh. later today, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Uh, it had a bad word in it, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt like it was. I love to write. You know, it, it, the epiphany was okay. I, my brain loves working on stories and it's, you know, when I'm walking my dog or, or whatever, you know, it's just when I'm driving to work, it's like my brain likes to think about like, so what if the assassin was actually Romanian and not Russian and they, you know, or just whatever crazy thing. And that's where my brain liked to reside. And when I was sitting, when I sit there and write and things are flowing and going well, it's, you know how it is. It's, it's a great, great feeling. So I was like, okay, you do this for free. Stop freaking out about not being successful at it or whatever. And uh, within two years, I had a, a book deal, you know, and when within four years, I was writing with Clancy and, and I had a movie deal within a couple of years, you know, so it, I really give a lot of credit to that moment where I just said, dude, relax. Don't look at these things as, as bad. And even when my agent, or the guy that ended up being my agent, he wasn't my agent when he told me no. Uh, when he said that, you know, after, like I said, crying into my beer, I was like, well, I've, I have fallen, but I have fallen forward. You know, he's given me new information. I finished this book. He said it was probably good enough to get published, but I could do better. You know, I was like, all right, all right. I'm, you know, it's, I am not succeeding, but my level of failure is getting better and better. Mm -hmm. If that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just stoked. I'm stoked to hear you say that because, you know, I think more people need to hear that. Um, yeah, I'm the kind of person where, you know, again, like I write because I love to write, um, right. I do this podcast because I love, you know, it has financial gain has nothing to do with any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. at the end of the day, it's something I love to do, but also it, it is, you know, it can be emotionally draining. You know, I, sure. I, you know, sure. I just got, I got two more rejections last week for a short story I submitted. Like it, yeah. it's never, it's never fun. Um, yeah. my question to you though, is hearing all this. Are you happy that, you know, the success that you would eventually find, are you happy that it kind of came to you later in life as opposed to if you were 22? Oh, that is a very emotional question for me for because I'm, I'm not happy because uh, my dad, who was, you know, incredible supporter of me, yeah. never got to read a damn thing that I wrote. Uh -huh. uh, and my mom actually passed away. After I'd gotten the agent, after the agent said he would represent me, but before I, you know, I, I had a book deal. So neither of my parents saw any of this. Yeah. And that makes me very, very sad because uh, 
not because I had anything to prove to my parents or anything like that. Just it, this, this ride would have been so much more fun if my dad was along with me just to marvel over like, wow, you just went up to Tom Clancy's house in Baltimore and talked about, you know, Chinese tanks. It's like, I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere he's, he's stoked for you. I'm yeah, sure. I, yeah. And people say that, and, and that actually does help, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I, I look back on it and there was no reason that I couldn't have been published before 30, except in the back of my head, I didn't really believe that that happened to normal people. You know, I thought that was just this, it's just like this imaginary thing. And that's one of the things when I, when I speak to um, authors who haven't been published yet, I'll see them at conferences or, you know, I've taught a couple online classes and, and I, and I'm always like, you know, now I've, I've been on both sides of this. I've been at the uh, at the writers conference where I'm at the table where everybody's trying to finish their first book or come up with an idea, and now I'm at the table with like the you know the biggest writers in the country or whatever. And it's like same people, exact same people. You know, it's there's not this qualitative dis- difference in the people or this rarefied. Now some of some people are douchebags, obviously. You know, with it, success in anything makes some people a douchebag, but very, very few. And I always tell auth- authors like I didn't have the guts to walk up to Lisa Gardner or Lee Child or somebody um and and introduce myself and say I was working on something. But uh I've seen people do it now that I know them and stuff like that. And they're the most approachable people in the world. And if I'd had more of that when I was younger and, and known somebody who was an author or know somebody who knew somebody who was an author or had gone to, or if I've gone to conferences and met them, I would have realized it's not for this elite like person. It's just for somebody that just keeps their nose down, you know, stays in the trenches, writes and, and gets their shit done and you know, good things will come to that. So that's that's my big takeaway is that like it's it's not you're not a more special person when you've been published. I'm super proud of something that I wrote that that was rejected by everybody and and never got published. I'm I'm very proud of that. So when I when I meet somebody who hasn't been published yet, I don't think, well, I'm probably a better author than him. It's like, no, I, I would I think I I think I mailed something and got rejected by everybody. J.K. Rowling got rejected. You know, <laughs> just just think if you're the editor that said no to that. Uh, you know, what your reputation is at, at, at the publishing house. So, you know, rejection is part of it, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, this is uh, everything you're saying I mean, rings true, certainly with me, because again, I'm coming at it from the same way you're coming at it. I, I didn't yeah. go to, I didn't go to, you know, the school and get the MFA and get the right. Iowa writer workshop. And that's all good. That's great. Yeah. But yeah. I, you know, there, there are channels into this world that people can take. Right. Um, it sounds like you didn't take, you took a different channel. I mean, you came, literally came at it. I call it ass backwards. You know, yeah, I'm yeah, a guy yeah. who's coming at it ass back. You know, in yeah. my mind, the publishing world doesn't really want a, a writer like me, but maybe mm-hmm. they do because, you know, again, it's, it's so, like you said, when you meet the people on the other side of the curtain, they're just, they're just people. Um, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. So can you go back to when that first book popped? What was that like? How did that happen? What, you know, did it all happen really quick? Um, the gray man, you know, what, what was, what was that like? Well, fortunately I have a wonderful editor. Um, who's been my editor from the beginning. His name is Tom Colgan. And there was a part of my career where it was all falling apart and he never told me <laughs> and I didn't find out about it until everything was fine later <laughs> that things were kind of going down the tubes. <clears throat> it's kind of funny. But my first book um, sold to Hollywood before it came out. So it was just released as a paperback, a mass market paperback. So mm-hmm. it was a very small book deal. Um, you know, they're smaller, <laughs> but well, it wasn't can you nothing. explain the it difference was- between that and say a traditional book deal? Um, well, I'm just talking about the amount of money. I mean, oh, okay, okay. It wasn't released as a hard as a hardcover. It, it wasn't released as a trade paperback, which is the larger, nicer paperback. <laughs> it was released as like an airplane, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I was obviously thrilled. You know, I was like really happy to be published, and you know, it's just like that. Your goal in life is to like hold that thing in your hands that you made, and that was everything that you would think it would be. Actually, in the digital age. The thing was, I remember, um, if I'm going long, just uh, tell no, me. I, mean, uh, um, I remember being uh, watching my nephew, who was about three years old, uh, and I got an email from the publisher, and they're like, here's, the, here's our idea for the artwork for the book. And of course, I'd never seen my name like on a cover. And, you know, this wasn't physical yet. It was still like they were yeah. asking. 
And I just remember I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to double click on this and I'm going to see myself as a, as a writer. And I was just like, my heart was just pounding. And I opened it and I saw, you know, Margraini, the gray man and the, and the cover art and everything like that. And there was nobody else there but my nephew. So like I, I'm sitting there, I'm holding him as he's trying to go play and, and trying to convey to him that this is a book. He wasn't getting it at all. But, but it's like I needed somebody to like be there with me and like and, and to dig that. And uh, yeah. so that was that was the, the first thing. Um, but the, when the book came out. I sold uh, a book deal to New Regency, which I looked at it at, at the time as a great talking point when you do your little radio interviews. And, uh, you know, I just basically did local stuff for my first uh, couple of books. And, um, you know, you, to go out there and say, yeah, Hollywood just picked up the option to this is a great thing. You know, you, you, you've come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You have this paperback book that nobody's heard of. Nobody's heard of you. You know, it's, it was just a little feather in the cap. It was. Oh, yeah. I I gave it zero point zero 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 percent chance that it was ever going to you know be made into a film, and, and that's a good thing because you don't get your hopes dashed. And uh, then the book came out, and it actually the first book sold pretty well. The second book didn't sell well at all, um, and I don't think it wasn't a quality thing. I think it was just the first book got a certain amount of attention from independent bookstores. It, it was on a list of like best books that were read by like, yeah. you know, some big shots and in independent bookstores. I probably have that all wrong, but um, something along those lines. And uh, the second one didn't get that pop. And I turned in the third one because uh, I had a three book deal. Well, I had a one book deal and they turned that into a two more books. So I was, t- I turned in the third one and I hadn't heard anything from my, editor for like weeks and I was freaking out. So I called my agent and I'm not one of those guys that calls his agent freaking out very often. And I said, is this bad? Is this bad? And he called Tom, my editor and Tom's like, yeah, no, I'm just working on something else. I'll I'll get back with him. And then I found out what that something else was. My agent called me one day and said, are you sitting down? I was like, yeah. And he's like, do you want to write a Jack Ryan novel with Tom Clancy? And I, my initial thought, it was exactly the opposite of what most people would think or what most people think they would think. I was just like, Oh shit. No, it's like, I was terrified. I was terrified of that prospect, you know, cause it's like how many eyeballs are going to be on me now. And I, I was still dealing with the social anxiety to some degree. I'd done some public stuff and I faked my way through it. But um, you know, like I'd sweat a lot. I was taking medicine to where I wouldn't sweat too much. And of course the medicine uh, makes it where you have no saliva in your mouth. So I couldn't talk either, but at least I wasn't, you know, like dripping sweat while I was on TV. Um, I was going through all that. And I, I I remember thinking in those few seconds before I answered him, I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to run. I want to hang the phone up and run as far away, even though I was a massive Clancy fan. And, and, you know, once I settled down, it's like, who, who better than me? Not that I'm the best, but, but I had, I knew that stuff inside and out because I love those books. And, uh, and I just realized my agent would never speak to me again. If I said, no, I'm okay. I don't really want to do a Tom Clancy book. So I did one. I, I, I co-wrote a book with him and then we co-wrote two more. And the third one came out right after he passed away in 2013. And then the family immediately hired me to continue the Jack Ryan series. So I ended up writing seven in six years and it was the best experience. It made me a better writer. It changed the, texture of my gray man novels and made them a little bit bigger and uh you know that's 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 how i went from you know paperback writer who was selling less for the second book and less for the third book to getting that jolt you know it didn't totally change your career um you have you work twice as hard if not more um and you get a thousand times more criticism you know when you're working with clancy and you're, or you're writing clancy and you're not clancy you know they're 30% of the people are going to hate you <laughs> without having read a word of the book, you know? So I had to deal with that. That was all a little, you know, a, a lot to take early on, but, but I look back on it and it was like, it was the best thing for my career in every possible way. I tell people there was nothing I could do publicity wise to promote my gray man stories than to write a Jack Ryan novel every year. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I have my name on the cover of a Jack Ryan novel. So yeah, um, I, a, a lot to die. A lot to. I got a couple of questions. Um, yeah. First, again, part of my ignorance on this is it common for authors like Tom Clancy to write with other authors? Is that something that happens frequently in that genre or with those? Yeah, m- more so. 
basically these authors become a brand name and you know, a a cover of a book is they want to do artwork or something to make people see that book and pay attention to that book. And they, you could have a black book that says Tom Clancy on it and somebody sees that and they know exactly what type of story that is. They, you know, they know that they're in for this ride. And, um, so they authors become a brand name. So sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of authors who do that. And I have a lot of friends that, you know, write for Clive Cussler or for the Robert Ludlum estate or, or, or whatever. And, you know, it, some people don't like it. They think the, the book should die with the author, but then the counter to that is people who love Robert Ludlum want to see what Jason Bourne is doing in 2020 with this technology and this sort of stuff. And as long as the author didn't put anything, I guess, in their will saying like, you can't touch my stuff, then I think, you know, the, the family, you know, obviously there's financial gain, but at the same time, I, I think there's a, a case to be made. My buddy, um, Josh Hood, um, is writing for the Robert Ludlum estate and Josh is a badass writer. He's, he's you come on the a podcast. Fantastic. You have mom. You should have, oh, you should have Josh on. He's, he's a fun guy. He's, yeah, he's, he, he's off. He's awesome. Uh, He's the 82nd Airborne and 101st Airborne. Uh, just cool dude. He was a SWAT sniper here in, yeah. in Shelby County, oh, Tennessee, oh, oh, where I live. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and he's a young guy. He used to like we're buddies, and he would just always like tease me about like, well, I'm not a number one New York Times best-selling author, so I don't get to say that the way you do. And I'm like, well, I'm not 34, you asshole. You know, it's just like. I'll take the years and you can take the career. Yeah. Um, but he's doing great. He, and and I'm glad that he, he's getting those eyeballs on his work. Yeah. And the the I'm sure the Ludlum estate is thrilled because he's a good writer. And I'm sure the people that that read those novels are like, wow, here's a here's a different voice telling, you know, th- this story, but um it's quality you know, the qualities there. And that really should be all that matters. I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I immediately draw a comparison to the comic book world. Batman doesn't die because, you know, like Superman doesn't stop being written. Like, am I wrong saying that? Like comic books continue to get written. The characters are still there, but they're being written and drawn by other people all the time. Same thing. The James Bond films, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Ian Fleming died in 64, I think. I think they were, you know, somewhere close to there. Yeah. Those are still coming out today. So, um, you know, and it's people say, like, you write this series, you're in book 10 of the series, your hero is always in peril. Um, You know, how do you make the story interesting? Because people know he's not going to die because you've got you're writing the series. And I'm like, nobody goes to a James Bond film expecting him to get, you know, his throat slashed in the opening credits. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. You just, you put skin in the game in other places and and you make it exciting. Well, thank, I mean, well, thanks for clearing that up, at least for me. Um, Next question. It's a two part question. Again, I don't, I don't, I'm not too familiar with Tom Clancy's work, but if you're a human being in America or anywhere, really, you at least know his name. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Two part question. A, do you remember the first time meeting him? And B, what was he like? Um, <clears throat> the first time meeting him is it's a story I've told a bunch and it it it's not my proudest moment, but it's oh, kind of okay. hilarious. It, no, it's kind of hilarious. So it's like, you know, I'll 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 take the kick in the ribs. Um <clears throat> I was I was going to meet him at his penthouse apartment in Baltimore, totally nervous. I was, was, the Baltimore I was guy? what's that? Was he a Baltimore guy? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that area. Yeah. And um, so I went to meet him and I had said something to my, my editor and I was like, I feel like I should bring a gift, but like, what the hell do I have that Tom Clancy, you know, what can I go get that Tom, Tom Clancy owns a tank, you know, it's what like, what year is this? This was 2011. Oh, okay. Okay. 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, about this time, well, a little bit after this. Um, and I said, uh, you know, what can I bring him? And he's like, well, he has, he has this lovely wife, Alex. And he, he did, she's a wonderful person. Um, he's like, just bring her flowers. That would be the coolest thing you could do. He's and Tom, my editor who'd been there to meet, you know, to talk to Clancy many times. He's like, here's what happens. You'll get off the elevator. He's got the whole floor. So you ring the door. Um, the housekeeper will 
we'll answer. We'll take you into the kitchen. You'll meet Alex, or, you know, somewhere. And then you'll be taken back into the lair where Clancy does his writing. And I was like, all right, cool. So I brought this big thing of flowers. You know, I get up there, I knock on the door. I, I pace the street outside. So I come in exactly at the right time. You know, all, all these things like, oh shit. And uh, the door opens and it's his housekeeper. And I was like, oh, just as Tom said. And I had this big thing of flowers. Um, and she's like, oh, follow me. And I was like, cool, I'm gonna go in the kitchen, meet Alex. She opens up a door, I go in the room and it's just Tom Clancy sitting behind his desk, all his military regalia, all his baseball caps, which he was known for wearing baseball caps of different ships and stuff were there. And I'm standing there like a dumbass. And he, and he just looked at me, he goes, you brought me flowers. <laughs> and and I, the first, the only thing I could say was I was like, I was told this was going to go down a little bit differently. <laughs> so I sat there with at the table or, you know, on the other side of his desk and we talked for a couple of minutes, but literally a couple of minutes. And I was kind of like leaning around the bouquet and finally he's like, <laughs> let me, let me get those. And he takes those into the kitchen, you know, and, and then, uh, and then when Alex comes, his wife showed up a few minutes later and that's, that's why I didn't meet her first. Uh, you know, he's like, yeah, he brought me flowers and I'm, I'd already told him they were for her, but he was having fun with that. But yeah, so I've been warned that Clancy was a, a real gruff guy. I flew up there for like a 45 minute meet and greet, just sort of, you know, somebody was joking. It's like to kiss the ring or something like that, you know? Uh, and I was there in his house for five hours and we ate lunch and we had a really great time. We talked about uh, things other than, than the books and, and I had to go get on a plane because my flight was, I mean, it was literally supposed to have been like 1145 to 1230. And I was there till you know, 5 p.m. or something like that. And uh, so it was, it was a really, really good experience. And I came away, he came away with the understanding that I knew his books and I knew him and I had an appreciation of him. And I came away with this, you know, just even more feeling of how, you know, large how big this deal was you know and and it probably helped me in that regard too i mean i mean I, I, l l we won't harp too much on tom clancy but since it's it's obviously something you're you know you're pretty comfortable talking with i mean mm -hmm. at that point by 2011 i mean he's he's on the mount rushmore of yeah of this world right i mean who, right. who is even in his stratosphere at this point well i mean th they said in the in the 90s Stephen King and and Clancy were the biggest. In the two thousands, it was a little less um, focused on techno thrillers, but his, you uh, know every one of his books was number one when it came out. And uh, so he was he's he's just about as big as they come. Yeah. You know any author that's had four at that point four films made of of his you know fourteen books or however many books he had yet twelve books he had four yeah. films. Uh, you know, a TV series obviously has since come out. Another film has has since yeah. come out. So you know, he he was a big deal. They're they're making a, a movie out of my first uh, book, and you know, it 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 it's a game changer. You you feel this sort of incremental increase in your success, and then like Netflix puts Ryan Gosling in the lead role, and you know all this other stuff, and then suddenly you get you get attention at, at a different level and uh -huh. clancy was clancy was getting that at a time when you know their his name and stephen king and john grisham th they were all sort of bannered around together and and nobody else really yeah yeah and again he kind of correct me if i'm wrong did he he came into writing later in life as well right absolutely absolutely yeah he was an insurance salesman yeah with really 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 bad vision and and wasn't able to get into the military but had a, a love of that sort of thing and then he wrote Hunt for Red October, you know, pre-internet. So, you know, he was writing letters to people to get details because he's very technical oriented and he's reading Jane's Defense Weekly and all, all this, you know, all these books or whatever to get information for his story. And a lot of that stuff now you can just research on the internet. And I do, um, I, I'll go to a military base or I'll go to China or Russia or, or, or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of times you're just Googling stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> he did not have that luxury. Um, it sounds like he's a very technical writer in that sense. Are you the same as well? Are you very detail oriented in your writing? Uh, some people think so. Definitely less than Clancy. Um, it, it's funny. There's a, in one of his books, The Sum of All Fears, a nuclear bomb goes off at the Super Bowl in, in, in Denver. And I'm not exaggerating. I, I, as, I, as I recall, from the moment that you know, the timer goes down to zero to the moment the, the bomb detonates, 
I think it was somewhere between like four and six pages of this solenoid fired this, which made the fusion of the this and the this. And it goes on for four or five pages. And, you know, my joke was, you know, okay, I'm going to write the Clancy books, but if a scene like that comes up, I'm going to write boom. You know, that's, that's going to be the difference between my, my way of doing it and his. I do like, I do a lot of research with firearms. I do a lot of research with uh, military and law enforcement and stuff like that. And I like to, integrate that into the story because the gray man novels are, are over the top action. And, but it's my job to sell it <laughs> to people anyway, you know, so it, it, it doesn't matter that, you know, this is really improbable. It's my job to make you believe it. So, you know, I use like real tactics that SWAT guys use or, or real, you know, ways that people halo jump or, or, or whatever, even, you know, intricate bureaucracy things in the CIA, you know, that that's yeah. all important to get right. Because the next scene, you're going to have something so wackadoodle crazy <laughs> happen that you don't want to like, you know, have people not believe you. Sure. Yeah. No, I asked that because I've had a couple of different authors who, you know, write, I'll just use the blanket term, like, you know, military fiction. Now that's probably mm-hmm. not a whole thing, but I'm just going to say that. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Ackerman, you know, Phil Cly, mm-hmm. things like that. And they had a different approach when I asked that question. You know, are you talking about the caliber of the bullet? You know, the grade yeah. of the... Um, I think Jack Carr is another author who's super mm-hmm. into like, you know... Sure. Looking through yeah. that scope, you know, dialing into this yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. can bore some people to fucking death, but yeah. I'm seeing the people who like your work like that stuff too, right? You're writing for an audience. Yeah, it's a balance. It, it is a balance because, you know, you're always trying to get new readers uh, and not every reader cares that it's a 147 grain boat tail, you know, right. 308 round traveling at a, you know, 2,700 yeah. feet per second initial muscle velocity. I mean, there's, but I, I usually say what type of weapon it is or why they're using that or something like that. So it, it's, de- it's definitely in there, but I, a lot of it comes out when I'm editing. I'm like, okay, I'm, I, it, you have to be really careful as a writer to not, if, if you're sort of do a lot of research to not use the research just because you, because it was a pain in the ass to learn it. And you wanted somebody to damn well know that you went to do the work. And that, that was early in my career. I, I had to edit out a lot of that stuff later. And I'd be like, okay, I'm just t- going into all this detail because I, I had to write, read this big fucking book and you know, I, I'm, I had to get something out of it. Yeah. Whereas now I, I'll do research and research and research and it never makes its way into the story. Um, but you, you know, if it doesn't serve the story, it shouldn't be there. Well, I mean, I mean, but th- to me, I, I, I'm, I'm at the tail end of finishing my first novel. It's about a rock, a fictional rock and roll band in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. And you know, I'm the same way. I talk about the guitars. I talk about the amps, but I don't want to be over nauseating about it. Right. Um, Right. But at the same time, it's like I want anyone who's ever stepped on stage or been in a van or whatever to immediately connect with that and kind of, you know, right. on and an emotional level. Um, absolutely. And and to, and then to give yourself the credibility for them to believe what's happening. Like a, a Jack Carr is a friend of mine and he writes incredibly detailed stuff. But yeah. to me, it doesn't detract from the story because it's that kind of a story and people pick yeah. it up for, for that reason. And he was a sniper uh, and he was enlisted and an officer in, in the Navy SEALs. And, you know, he he's establishing his bona fides every time he, he does something like that. So it is it, it is a balance and a trade off. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I do the research with the guns. And so I want people to, to, to hear things that they wouldn't necessarily hear in other books, like that you can actually feel the overpressure of a bullet passing by your face. You know, it, it actually has this like scary feeling of like just the gases and the just move the movement of the air around you as it whizzes past you at 2,700 feet a second. And you don't hear that in a lot of books or you'll get a little bits of gunpowder. If somebody fires near you, um, you know, kind of peppering your, your body. And so you, you put things like that in there to be like, okay, this, this makes this a real moment. And, and I mean, in that research, you know, half the time I find the best Wikipedia articles and YouTube videos by doing random research, you know, yeah. if I'm researching, you know, I have to make sure an album came out in a certain year. And then I'm yeah. like, well, what, what was the biggest hit of that year? And you click on that and then 30 minutes go by and it'll never yeah. end up in the book. But yeah. now, now it's like, you know, I can do a podcast a year from now and some, for some, that'll be in my head and I'll be able to pull at that out. Um, yeah. But I mean, that, that's what makes, uh, you know, that's, that's a writer's brain. You, yeah. you go down that rabbit hole and it might not end up in your book, but that's, where your your brain likes to to know this and to know that and it's the same way my my new book um that's just coming out relentless takes place in berlin 
my plan was to rent an apartment in a kind of a seedy or part of Berlin and and live there for six weeks or something like that. Yeah. COVID, I couldn't do it. I, I've been to Germany many times. I lived in Cologne for a short time and I speak some German. And so I was able to use a lot of, you know, old notes from other books I've researched there or whatever. But, you know, I love that location research. It really adds to the credibility in the story. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you step into that Tom Clancy universe. I mean, you know, how do you go about now producing new works? I mean, are you are you in both roles at the same time? Or how do you do that? How do you juggle that? Well, I I continued doing a Gray Man book every year and a Clancy book every year until the end of 2016, and I stepped away from Clancy. And then I've still done two books a year, some of the years since, uh, by doing other things. I, I wrote a, a big, large-scale military thriller with a then active duty Marine Lieutenant Colonel, who was a friend of mine called Red Metal, and that came out in 2019, doing a sequel to that. I wrote an original audio drama, which is where they they hire actors and do sound effects and music and everything to act out sort of an audio play. And Audible is recording that. That's so, I never heard it. Is that a new kind of thing? It's a pretty new thing. And it's, it's not, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's going to surprise people. It's going to be a, probably about a five hour, you know, audio, you know, play where they're higher up to 40 actors and it takes place in Mexico. They're actually recording some of it in Mexico city and they're doing sound effects and all that. It's, it's an action, but I've I'm, actually I, sold that. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm long on audio format. Um, you're already yeah. starting to see it. There's this new app called clubhouse that um, I don't know if you heard of it. It's like an invite only thing, but it's all audio. You know, Elon Musk is going on there just talking, you know, it's, mm. I'm big on the audio. So that's, that's really yeah. cool. You, well, I'm sorry. What was the technical name of it? What did you say it was called? Um, <clears throat> gosh, was, I call it an audio play. Yeah. Play. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it, yeah, it, it's just different. It's, it's not uh, them reading a novel. It's yeah, yeah, them yeah. acting out a novel or, or, or whatever. But that story, uh, I sold the option, I optioned that in Hollywood to Michael Bay and Erwin Stoff. And I'm writing a novel version of that audio play as well so i do a gray man book and i do something else i do a gray man book i do something else and i keep telling myself i'm not going to keep doing this but i feel like i've got like six books (laughs) in the hopper one after the other well i gotta ask the obvious question you you said it took you 15 years plus to write your first book how do you write two books in a year now I, i i do them in six months and it it's not a straight six months basically i'm writing a book now and i'm thinking of the next book. Uh, mm-hmm. That's usually the way it was. I was having trouble with the book that I needed to start writing. So I just told myself, all right, stop writing the other book and spend as much time as you need to come up with a decent synopsis uh, of this book, just so you're not freaking out that you've got nothing for the thing <laughs> down the road. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it took me a while. It took me most of a month to come up with like a 15 page detailed synopsis. But once I had it, I'm like, okay, now I know what the next book is. I can go back to this book. Um, it's, it's not easy. It's not a long-term thing, but even though I've been doing it for 10 years, uh, you know, you, you pay a price for it. I mean, it definitely helps your career because it gets your name out there a couple of times. If you're hitting the, the times list twice a year, it's, it's a good, you know, it's a good thing for you. Um, but I have nothing to prove to anybody. So it's not going to keep happening. I just have these ideas for stories and, yeah. uh, and I, you know, I, I, I feel like part of it is that, you know, I was told no so many times and wanted to be an author for so long. It's like, it's hard to say no to anything these days. Yeah. So what does the future hold for you? What, what, what's the immediate thing? What's going on right now? Well, um, I'm promoting relentless and, um, they start shooting the Netflix film for my first book, the gray man in March. Is that um, crazy? I mean, this book you wrote, yeah, 12, 12 years, years ago. Yeah, is that crazy that it's coming, that that's the book that's being made into all this? I mean, well, it's the origin. I mean, it's the yeah, first yeah. in the series and they want to, if the Russo brothers are, are the directors and wrote the screenplay and um, they want to make it as a franchise. They've got Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling and, um, um, you know, a lot of other big names in it, Anna DeArmas and they, have you know it's it's coming out on netflix but they they have high expectations for it and yeah it, i never believed for a second it got close to shooting back back in 2012 with brad pitt and it was kind of like oh my gosh this might happen and then that fell through and after that it's like well i'll take the money for the options but i don't think it's ever going to happen and you know i'll talk the talk but yeah. you know I, I doubt any studio will ever make it and then in, in july of this year uh 
Sony made a deal with Netflix and Ryan Gosling signed on. I'd heard rumors about it, but I'd heard rumors about so many things over 12 years, you know, I didn't even talk about. So, um, yeah, it's, it's surreal, but I'm still the author. And to me, the, the film is like the best advertisement possible for, for my book series. And, and, you know, it's a different medium and I'm not an expert on film, so they're going to do their thing. I'm going to keep doing my thing over here. What do you think the dude back then would think about what's happening right now to you? How do you think he would have handled it when you were writing those pages when no one knew who the hell you were? Yeah, uh, I guess it probably would have freaked me out. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's a dream and, you know, a lot of times dreams don't come true. But, but this one, you know, to this day, I keep telling people like this whole thing is going to fall apart. And they're like, no, they've already built sets in Long Beach. And then, you know, all these actors have signed on and everything. I'm like, yeah, but I've, I've, I've seen um, defeat snatched from the jaws of victory before. Um, but it looks pretty good. COVID delayed it by like six weeks, but yeah. um, it's not like the actors are going to go shoot something else. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's surreal. And, and the, the me from 13 years ago just wanted to hold a, paperback book with my name on it in his hands, you know, so I didn't have big aspirations. I didn't even know I was writing a series until the publisher said, can you do two more? And, um, and, you know, they tell you it's a series and that's pretty much how that goes. Well, maybe, maybe 12 years from now, I'll be sitting where you're sitting. That would be pretty good. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be younger than me when you do it. So. Mark, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for taking the time Same. to talk to us. Um, yeah, I always, I, fun. yeah. I always ask two questions at the end. Um, first off, um, I think you are. Are you a social media guy? Do you do Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, I'm all over everything. It's Mark Graney Books. It's G-R-E-A-N-E-Y. It's Mark Graney Books. And then on Twitter, it's Mark Graney Book, singular. Uh, but I'm on Facebook and, and, and Instagram. I've got a website, markgraneybooks.com. Dope. And the last question, um, I know you're a Tennessee guy. What bookstores do you rep? Where should people be buying your books from? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, novel bookstore in memphis tennessee it's an independent bookstore here it's five minutes from my house so i i'll, I'll they have a if you go to their website they have a, a a link where you can actually pre-order this book and they will uh i'll come up there and sign it and personalize it or, or whatever there's great bookstores all over the country poison pen and in, in scottsdale arizona murder by the book in in houston you know it's like i i try to get people to buy independent when they can because i think it's a great thing but uh you know i hope you find it somewhere yeah. Mark, thanks so much, man. Hey, I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, well, definitely. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. All right, bye-bye.